Okay, we should we should get started whenever you're whenever you're ready. Not I mean not, not to rush you, but I'm ready whenever you want to do it. I thought, I thought you had to open your your thing. Oh no, I've got it open. Okay. Well, you didn't tell me. Oh no, it's it's always open. How am I supposed to know? This this machine has 24 gigs of RAM. Everything's always open. <laughs> your your 5K iMac really has 20. You say 24 gigs? Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you think it's a lot or a little? I think it's a lot. Oh. Yeah, cheaped out and go 32. What's the max you can have? 64. Okay. Well, we can just start now, I think. Sure. Okay. Um, well, we're, we're back after um, a rare off week for us. Celebrating the, the Thanksgiving holiday here in the, in the States. I enjoy Thanksgiving as a holiday. How do you feel? I also enjoy uh, Thanksgiving, although in some ways I feel like we treat it as sort of the kickoff to the Christmas season. So I think it's it gets maybe overlooked in some ways, but but in general, I, I actually very much enjoy Thanksgiving as a uh, standalone holiday. I do too. I, I think it's a very it's it's inoffensive. Everybody like who who can't get behind the idea of joining people you like or I don't. There's there's no gift giving attached to it. There's no dressing up. There's no there's very few expectations other than this kind of taking a holistic view of the year in your life, and I, 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 I strongly support it. Or, you know, in, in your case, it, it can be a day spent building a uh, Lego Wally. That's true. Depending on uh, circumstances and who's in the area or not and where your family lives, yeah, it can just be a uh, unplug everything day and assemble 677 pieces of a Wally figurine and then frustratingly stop four times during the assembly and uh, fear that you're missing something. But no, you just need stronger glasses. I actually very much enjoy um, your treatment of Thanksgiving where you do kind of unplug for the day. It depends if I'm with or without people. But yeah, if, otherwise I am around people all the time. And sometimes I enjoy the unplugging. No, I, I completely agree. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it here, but I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it offline to you that the the houseboat trip that I go on every year, it's it's kind of my annual reminder that yes i can completely disconnect from the internet for some period of time and, and you know still be okay you can but you shouldn't but you can right so yeah anyway wally is very very cool i highly recommend the lego ideas uh number 13 kit for people who want to who enjoy the, the wally movie and enjoy putting things together because it's not too it's not too crazy yeah, so I've I've had my eyes on, and I, I shared this with you right before we started recording, um, the new Millennium Falcon kit they came out with um, as part of the upcoming uh, The Force Awakens, the new Star Wars movie. Um, and I've, I've seen it in stores a couple of times, and um, a, a few years ago, like four or five years ago, they actually had a like limited edition Millennium Falcon set they came out with that I was also thinking about at that time, but ultimately didn't, you know, didn't pull the trigger on. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like maybe my Lego days have have passed me by. Yeah, I guess for me it might be different because I never had Lego days. But yeah, I, th- I think you should still give it a try. You don't have to be like a, like a, you don't have to make it weird and start like collecting kits and putting them on display and buying two of them because one of them stays uh, unopened forever. So it's in mint condition or whatever. I think you could still have fun with it. As a kid, you didn't build any legos no you know i didn't i didn't didn't uh, really have a childhood no i just didn't uh take in in the unnecessary uh uh fun parts oh right oh I, that's i'm sorry you did have a childhood just minus the fun 
I think it's very apt. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't. Very yeah. sad in a way, but. No, no, I'm, I'm completely content with that. Okay. There are certain things I found fun. And I don't know, like just, yeah, Legos never, never uh, stuck with me. I was into toy cars for a little bit. But no, I think I, I, I skipped over a bunch of years. Hmm. And we'll move on. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, um, hmm. I mean, so there's two weeks of stuff from the Slack, which I've sort of loosely compiled for us here. So I think this could be a grab bag kind of episode. Yeah. So this will be our Florida episode. <laughs> Do you remember that reference? No. Okay. Never mind. Is that a back to work reference? It is. Okay. Um, let's see. Have you been watching? Uh, have you uh, seen Master of None? No, I have not. Do you know what that is? Yes. What is it? That is is that is that one of the Amazon shows? Uh, it's one of the Netflix shows. Oh, uh, I, I've just I've seen it mentioned on Twitter repeatedly, but I have not myself seen it. Okay, then we won't we won't discuss it until you perhaps give it a chance at some point in time. But it's a uh, ten episode uh, comedy drama series. Uh, with uh, starring Aziz Ansari, the stand-up comedian. Oh, okay. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. So it's uh, I would give it a solid B, B minus. I would I would recommend watching a couple episodes of it. And if you do, let me know how what you think, and we'll talk about it. Next on my list is um, this is an Amazon show. Maybe that's why I have Amazon on the brain. Um, it's called The Man in the High Castle. Is this the one with the the controversial nazi advertising or something yeah so amazon had a really um uh, ill-advised they pulled an airbnb (laughs) right exactly uh i I like that actually i like that as a i'm gonna keep this going yeah yeah. um so i guess it's it's about it's based on a, a book i believe and it's it's based on a kind of a parallel universe where germany wins world war ii um, and I guess the way that these Amazon shows work, I actually didn't know this, but I guess they, um, you know, finance the pilot, they put it out there for free for everyone, see how it does. And then if it does well enough, it, they, they pick it up for, you know, like a full season. So I guess that's what happened to this show where the pilot came out like in January, I think of this year. And then just last weekend or two weeks ago, the, the rest of the season came out. Gotcha. And uh, what is, uh, is there anybody notable in it? Or is it mainly just a story that has people interested? I don't think it has any like big name actors that you'd recognize necessarily. Okay. But it's gotten semi-decent reviews. I've seen kind of takes both ways, but um, as sort of a, a history nerd and specifically kind of a World War II nerd, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. Okay. I kind of need something else to watch besides um, catching up on The Walking Dead. I feel like I'm, I might be finally hitting a wall with that show. I'm glad because I've, <laughs> I've never given it the time of day and I shouldn't uh, talk, uh, talk against it. But yeah, that show seems awful to me. And, and I, don't, I don't understand why people enjoy it because it seems like the concept for a bad or for some type of horror movie that just happens to run for like four seasons. It's not really um, horror. Um, and they, they do a, a very, very good job of focusing more on 
the human aspect of the story and giving it sort of a realistic view. Zombies don't exist, so I don't understand. But they, they, they create a world that you could kind of see if zombies did exist. This is, you know, what the world would look like. And it, I actually do think it is a really good show, but my biggest thing with it is it's, um, it's very repetitive. Like, you can basically take each season, swap out a couple of locations, and swap out a couple of characters, and every season basically is just the same thing over and over again. And really, almost even each episode is like the same thing over and over again. And I assume because it's, it's on television, it's probably needlessly violent. It, it's, it's horrifically violent, yes. So again, what do you get from that? It, the, the, the stories, the, the people, you know, the mm. stories about the people. Um, I, d- I don't get that, but well, I'm I'm starting. You know, I actually didn't see any of this season, um, live, but I I caught up with it over the break, and yeah, I don't know. Which we can and that actually reminds me of another topic we should add to the list about how I how I caught up with the show. Okay, I bet we got a couple different TiVo segments, so maybe we can combine it with those. Sure. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll leave that at that because yeah. this will this will devolve. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I mean, there there's a whole a plethora, as you like to say. Well, let's let's get the uh, the elephant uh, in the room out of the way. <laughs> is that is that the phrase? Sure. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm making it my phrase. Sure. So Kobe's retiring. Yeah, he is. He's. Are you uh, happy or sad? Or do you think he's happy or sad? Do you think he wishes he, it was going out on a better note? Or do you think the two decades he's put in, he, of course, he has a career to be proud of, but the way it's ending, how do you feel? Yeah, there, there, there is so much, so much to say here. Um, I, I absolutely think that he wishes he was going out on a higher note. Um, but at the same time, I think he has just come to accept where the team is, where he is. And I think actually that's a big reason why this is happening is because there really isn't any short-term prospects for the team. You know, he, he's he been playing incredibly poorly um, and really hasn't played well at any stretch since he tore his Achilles three years ago. Didn't they just hand the 76ers their only win this season? <laughs> they They did, yes. So, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, it's not as if this year or even like the last couple of years is going to change the way that I see Kobe's career as a whole. Um, but, I, but I do think that if he continues to play the way that he is now for, there's still like 60 games left in the season. Um, and if the team continues to play the way that it is, I just think this is going to be a really weird five months because it's like you almost it's like you want to savor every moment because you know this is like the last time you're going to see him play but at the same time it's like do you really want to see him play this way like i uh, one of my first thoughts when he announced his retirement on sunday was you know when's when's the next time and which would be the last time that he's up here in the bay area playing the warriors like you know maybe i should go see him and I, at first, I thought for sure that's something I wanted to do. But now, in the, you know, in the few days I've had to think about it since then, you know, I've had the 
luck to go to a handful of really good Laker Warriors games the last few years. There was a game that went in overtime where he played really well, and I mean, a couple of really great games. And it's like, you know, should I maybe just let those be my memories of him and, you know, just kind of brush this season aside, or do I really want to try to, again, savor every last minute of it? It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird place to be in as a fan. Yeah, I... Hmm. And do you think he has a heart in it for every game of the season? I think he has to because, I mean, the way he's playing right now, it's hard to even understand sometimes why he's out there. He's such a prideful guy and he's such a competitive guy that you would think at some point playing the way that he is would be really discouraging. Um, But, I mean, clearly he's still... He still's got something in him to, that he needs to, you know, get out before he retires. Um, well, on that note, or from what I've seen over the past couple of days since the announcement, is this going to be like the Jer- uh, the Derek Jeter thing, where the entire year is just like every game is like a celebration and like this like mournful thing, where it's not about the actual game of basketball; it's all about one personality. Do you know what I mean? I do. And what's really interesting about that is he, he's he been asked about that, and he's actually been asked about that using Derek Jeter as the example. Well, because that's what last year was. It wasn't about the Yankee season. It was about... A couple years ago now, but yeah. Oh, it um, wasn't last year? No. It was the season before that. But I, I know what you mean. Okay, thank you. Um, You know, it... And he, and he, when he um, responded to these questions, he always said, no, absolutely, I, absolutely not, rather, I, you know, I, I don't want that. Um, but the timing of the announcement is really peculiar, where it was right before the Lakers went on this long East Coast road trip, which is what they're currently on. And, you know, the way the NBA works is Western and Eastern Conference teams generally only play each other twice a year, once in each arena. And... Um, so this was kind of the first stretch of games this season where this was going to be, you know, the one and only time the Lakers were going to be at, you know, like it was Philadelphia a couple nights ago. It was, uh, Washington DC tonight. Um, and he, you know, he timed the announcement before this trip. So it, it he's been saying all along, he doesn't sort of want this Derek Jeter-esque send off, but at the same time, he made his announcement at a time which was perfect to set up something like that. So I, I don't know. I, I I really, I don't know. I don't know why he didn't just announce this at before the beginning of the year. I don't know why you wait 20 games into the season. I don't know if he legitimately came into the season having more of a wait-and-see mentality where if he was playing really well and if he felt good, you know, maybe he was going to consider playing longer. Um, I don't know. Would it have been different? Or would it have been disrespectful to the fans? Like, what he couldn't have waited until later in the season, right? Like, he can't just say, like, right as the postseason, or is that, yeah, that's what it's called for the NBA, that he was going to, that this was his last year. Is that disrespectful, or would that have been better? Do you think you give a full season notice, or you give almost no notice? I don't think it would have been disrespectful. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting question whether it would have been better or not. I don't, I don't really don't know. Um, because I just fear, and again, he's had a storied career and with a couple bumps along the way, but uh, I mean, I he, he's been a great person to watch for all this time, especially for those, um, like the that five-year or 10-year span in LA, but 
uh, it just feels like this is just going to be uh, painful and just kind of aggravating to watch at times this year because it's just going to be all about him. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and um, a great place to refer people here is um, just today, Bill Simmons came out with a new episode of his new HBO podcast. And they spent two-thirds of the show talking about Kobe and made a lot of really great points, um, including what you just brought up, which is it's, it just really puts the Lakers in an odd spot the rest of the year where you know they've got a bunch of young guys, a couple of guys they've drafted in the last couple of years who you'd really love to see the team focusing on developing, <clears throat> but you just know that the rest of this year is going to be about Kobe. And you know, he's putting up 20, 25 shots a game. And, you know, when you have a single guy putting up those types of numbers, you're just, you're drowning out a lot of the rest of your team. So it, it really does put the the team in a tough spot. Um, and, you know, individually for Kobe, this is something that Simmons talked a lot about, which is it's sort of unprecedented for a guy who is as talented and who has had such a storied career to just be so bad it's it's not there's not a lot of other examples where superstars at the end of their career have have performed as poorly as he has so it's um in in a lot of ways for both the team and for him individually it's it's a very it's a very strange stretch that's true and then just to wrap up but for me it's it's just the weird part is that of what can be described at best is a very mediocre team right now is probably going to get like a lion's share of the coverage for the entire season because of this, no? Well, the Lakers are, a, yeah, a weird team. I've commented on this to to friends and maybe even to you offline where, you know, the NBA has kind of rules and, and guidelines around nationally televised games. And I think the way it works ultimately is that each team gets a kind of like certain number of maximum games that um, they can be on national TV. And even though the Lakers have been bad the last couple of years, they've they've been right at that limit. Um, so even without this Kobe announcement, they're always just a team that's going to be on TV a lot and get a lot of attention. But I think that's going to be magnified now that, you know, everybody knows these are, you know, Kobe's last games. Yeah. Well, let's uh, turn this slightly to the polar opposite of the Lakers. The Golden State Warriors. Yes. So what is the, um, what's the longest uh, win streak in the opening of a season that a team's ever had? Because they're 20-0 and 0 so far, and that people seem to be really excited about that. Again, bandwagon fans and all. But what is the record that they're going for? And will, are they likely to reach it? They've passed it. No, the, the, record, the record was, it was either 15-0 and 0 or 16-0, and 0, which had been done twice before. I could have sworn somebody said it's like 32 games in a row, or is that just a, any win that's, streak? That's any win streak. Okay. Yeah. So, so that they, would that would be unprecedented. Right. So the, the the start that they've had is now a record. They're 20 and 0, and yeah, the longest can, number of games or, or the longest winning a streak, the longest winning streak, um, is yeah, I think it's 32 games. It's it's a stretch that the Lakers had back in like the Showtime era. Um, is, does that mean the late 90s? No. What was that? The 80s. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's sort of a, a number that they have going um, for them. And so they're at, um, going back to last season, I think 
they're up to like 24 now, something like that, 24 or 25 in a row, because they had won their last handful of regular season games last year too. Um, so there's that that they have in mind. And I think the, the really crazy one is the best record in a regular season. So the record for that is 72 and 10, which was the 96 Bulls. And that that's a number that um, is crazy when you think about it. Because, you know, and I actually, I was talking to a coworker about this today. Even where the Warriors are today, where they're 20 and 0, just to tie that record, you know, the rest, they'd have to go 52 and 10 the rest of the season to tie that record. So even though they've gotten off to a phenomenal start, you know, it's, they still would have to play really, really well to, you know, tie or break that record sure sure yeah i mean they're you know i as a lakers fan i i like to try to give my warrior friends uh up here kind of a tough time but i mean man they they are just a heck of a good team and you know stephen curry's playing out of his mind the team as a whole just seems to gel with one another it's they're they're pretty fun to watch it's it's hard to hard to say a lot of bad things about them I've been hearing rumors that he might get not he might get traded, but that other people are looking for him. And it's like his contract expiring or. Yeah. So he Stephen Curry has a really interesting career um, where he had a lot of ankle problems early, um, early uh, in his career with the Warriors. And he missed a ton of games his first uh, couple of years. And they he eventually he had surgery on a, at least one, if not both of his ankles and the Warriors signed him to what is, by NBA standards, a, a fairly cheap contract extension. It was like four years, um, I want to say $60 million something. I mean, there, there are like mid-range to even like lower mid-range players now who get that kind of money. So for the, a player of his caliber now, it, it's, it's a steal of a deal. Um. But, you know, ever since he signed that contract, he's been, you know, 100% healthy. He's had, had no problems with the ankles. He's, you know, he's hardly missed any games, if any. So, you know, next time around, he'll, he'll get the big deal. But it's, it's hard to imagine him leaving Golden State. Other teams will be interested, but he's, he's too beloved by the city. And the team's going to have a lot going for it. It's, you know, it's going to be moving to San Francisco here in a couple of years. And... You know, if, if they continue to play well, they, they, you know, might be able to string off, you know, another couple of titles in the next handful of years. So it, it, it's, it'd be unusual for a player to, to leave a team like that. So personality wise, is he kind of like a Bumgarner figure in the sense that he doesn't care about being the highest paid, just he kind of enjoys his role as being kind of one of the most important players on the team, but has like a, like, what, what's his personality like? Yeah, you know, he comes across as very humble, very team-oriented. And, you know, it's not even just the way that he interviews. I mean, just you watch him play, and, you know, he's very pass-first. He's always moving around without the ball. He's always trying to fire up his teammates. Um, and, I, you know, that attitude, I think, describes the team as a whole, too. It's an incredibly unselfish team. Um, I mean, the, the percentage of baskets they make that are assisted or is just through the roof. I mean, they, they had a game against the Lakers last week before Thanksgiving, and 
the, that one, at one point the Warriors had like twice as many assists as the Lakers had made baskets. I mean, it was just, you know, unbelievable. So, um, he as an individual is very unselfish and is very team focused. And I think that is just indicative of the team as a, as a whole. Very good. Yeah. So I just, I can't even, can't even say negative things about them anymore. It's no fun. Yeah. And to to be honest, again, I wasn't a basketball fan. Honestly, hadn't heard of them <laughs> before moving up here. <laughs> again, I think that's the weird part about um, the level of, or the evenness of coverage on TV that, uh, all the NBA franchises get. Well, but, but to be fair to the NBA, I mean, the Warriors up until, you know, the last three years had only made the playoffs once. They made the playoffs in, I think it was 2006 or 2007, and and that was it. Um, I mean, the the first year we were up here in 2010, I had bought a, like a 10-game pack to them because I, you know, living in Southern California... Uh, Laker tickets are, were always expensive, so I really didn't get to go to many NBA games growing up. And so when I moved up here, the Warriors tickets were super cheap, and you could you get these ten game packs for next to nothing. And I, I mean, I can't tell you the number of calls I got throughout the season begging me to um, get season tickets. You know, basically just blow out my package and just get get every game and become a season ticket holder. Um, and, and that continued into 2011 as well. And now I, I just had the game on in the background the other night and their season ticket list is up to like 8,500 people. So, you know, I mean, it's a lot has changed with that franchise uh, in the last few years and, you know, deservedly so. I think, well, on the economic note, probably the Bay Area in general. But... That too, yeah. Yeah. Does Larry Ellison have a... Any basketball interest or not really? I yeah, I want to say that he he's been at least rumored um, in the purchasing of of teams in the past. Um, like I think his name got thrown around with the Kings a few years ago, and I think even the Warriors a, a handful of years ago when when they got bought. So he's he's probably too busy doing his sailing thing though. Well, all right. Um, all right, let's, let's move out of the, uh, the small stuff or the, the non-tech stuff. Okay. Where do you, where do you want to take this? Or actually, can, can I, can I start? <laughs> sure. Sure. No, it's, it's your show, please. No, I've actually been really eager to talk about this. So I think, uh, did I talk about last week or, uh, on the re- recent episodes about my search for the best wireless headphones? No. So we've, this is probably the topic that we've talked the most extensively offline that we haven't yet brought to the show. Okay, well, let's talk about it. So finding headphones is extremely difficult. I am a huge fan of the Apple EarPods. Uh, I think headphones that you despise, is that accurate? Or am I thinking of somebody else? Uh, it's Despise is a strong word, but I I'm cer- I certainly wouldn't consider myself a fan, no. Okay. So, I mean, I think those are great. I think in terms of uh, sound unit, uh, sound quality unit per dollar... I think they are. Is that the metric system? What what is that? (laughs) It's imperial units. Okay. Um, Like they 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 sound great. They're fairly comfortable and they're cheap to replace if you forget to take them out of your pocket when you wash your jeans, like I do three times a year. So um, I'm a big fan of those, but I always do like nicer headphones. I used to have a pair of Bose Triports that I loved for years uh, that I got in like 2005, Um, and then I've never really found anything that I liked afterwards. 
And back when I did the whole iPad as primary computer uh, phase of my life in like February, um, I purchased the Bose, uh, the Bose on-ear wireless headphones, which were fine, but after an hour they got really uncomfortable. Uh, and then I kind of just let those sit in a closet and I rediscovered them a month ago. And then I kind of renewed my search. So I narrowed it down to three pairs, which I ended up buying all of them. I could, did kind of, unfortunately, like a Marco Arment style uh, evaluation. And I did come up with a winner. So do you have any guesses as to which one won? Well, so can you, can you tell me and, and the audience what the three finalists were? Sure. So they were the, um, the Beats by Dre. Or do, do, are they even called that anymore? Or are they just called Beats? I think it's just Beats now. Okay. Uh, so the, the Beats, or Beats by Apple, maybe. Okay, the Apple Beats, <laughs> the Apple Beats Studio wireless headphones, the Bose uh, on-ear Bluetooth wireless headphones, and the Bose uh, around-ear wireless headphones uh, version two. So, as a huge fan of the first version of the around-the-ear headphones, I'm I'm going to guess that you went with those, the the version two of the around-ear Bose headphones. So the winner uh, was uh, or is what I'm using right now the Bose Quiet Comfort 25 wired headphones. <laughs> oh, well, that wasn't one of the three. It wasn't, <laughs> but all three were awful in their own ways. Hmm. Well, so so tell us before we get to why the the Quiet Quiet Comfort are are so awesome, and I I agree with that too. I've got a pair of QC15s that I've had for like four years that I wear five six hours a day and and love but so why, why don't before we get to that why why don't you tell us about the three wireless headphones that uh didn't make the cut okay uh so i took some notes as though like it were a wine tasting um so the Ooh, beats... did, did you use some like fun adjectives uh, yes i said uh the uh beat studios were earthy <laughs> right uh-huh i <laughs> uh, really like the bubbles on those uh-huh a lot, of, uh, don't, a, lot, don't, a lot of tannins. Don't get me started on wine tasting and the pretension there. It drives me nuts. Oh, it's great. I I I ironically love it. But do you engage in it? I in in an ironic way, yes. Uh, it's right. it's 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 wonderful. Okay, so the Beats Studio Wireless. So those were the most expensive of the three. Those were three hundred and eighty dollars. Uh, they, uh, they're oh the problems. It just where where to begin? So they're comfortable, uh, but they're also extremely heavy. Uh, they have great build quality, but uh, they don't really fold neatly. Um, Sound-wise, they sound absolutely terrible. Everything is like way too bass heavy. Like it sounds like you're, sounds like you're sitting in a car that has like uh, you know like those. Uh, what do you call the the crazy speakers in the back? The the subwoofer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> like it, it. Everything just like. All right, you're going to have to edit this out. But, like, my reference stuff, like, I, I had a few songs that I would use, but the one that, like, was the most important to me were a couple of Taylor Swift songs. Oh, no, we're 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 leaving that in. No, no, but that's because that has a lot of, like, highs, mids, and lows, so that it's actually a pretty balanced song. Like, some rock music or some uh, certain music will be too far on one end of the spectrum, and you can't really um, get a good appraisal of it. But no, the beats did absolutely horribly with those. Like it all just sounds like you were listening to stuff over like an FM radio where all the like depth of the music was lost. And I think part of that is the uh the compression that happens over Bluetooth, but it wasn't really any better if you were using the wired connection that it supported. So that that was strange. 
You can't turn off the noise cancellation on the Beat Studios. Um, and just yeah, just everything was muddled, and there's wasn't wasn't a lot of good sound coming out of them. And it's like the controls were difficult to operate, and yeah, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, I tried those um, right about this time last year, and just found them to be extremely uncomfortable. Um, I, I thought the sound quality was okay, not certainly not the best I'd ever heard, but also better than a lot of what I had heard about Beats. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were it was it was a deal breaker because they were just so so un- uncomfortable. Gotcha. Yeah, for me, I actually thought they were very comfortable. Like after wearing them for an hour, they became very heavy, but comfort-wise, it was actually very good. But it was just yeah, way too much bass, and it was just not it's not not a not a good sounding pair of headphones. Okay, so then the other two are the the but the Bose on ear and around ear. Exactly. So the on ears are and the around ears are actually very similar. So the on ears, um, those have been out for about a year. Those sound pretty good. Um, uh, nice balanced sound. Also suffers greatly from Bluetooth compression, which uh, loses a lot of depth of the audio. But they w- wasn't too heavy on the bass. Um, they were nice and light. No audio drops or anything like that. It's just that on ear headphones, after wearing them for an hour, just become just really uncomfortable for me. And then when I take them off, I'm just like, I should have just been using earpods. And then also with those, you can use them as wired headphones if your battery dies or if you just don't want to use Bluetooth. But for some reason, they sound way worse if you're using them wired. Because I guess maybe the audio processing or like the powered part of the headphones only happens when um, they are turned on and using Bluetooth. Hmm. Yeah, but those were good. They folded uh they folded flat and they were very, very small and they're overall uh pretty good headphones if you like on ear style headphones. Uh for Bluetooth, uh I would say they're worth it. Uh and those were about two eighty. Yeah, I'm not not a fan of on ear headphones. I've tried a handful and you know just haven't um like the i tried the beat solo which is kind of the like uh, the studio equivalent but for with like an on-ear design and but then so that's coupling uh uncomfortable like uncomfortable discomfort with poor sound yeah but i just in, in general i just don't find the on-ear design to be comfortable yeah yeah lessons learned and then the ae or the round ear two wireless headphones those are probably the best wireless headphones I've ever used. They sound fantastic. They redesigned them from the previous version that was basically kind of like the Bose triports, but it had this really funky Bluetooth receiver thing. So it looked like there was like this weird mutated thing growing off the side of them. Uh, but now they've redesigned it where they're much more like the on-ears and they they sound pretty good. Uh, they do fold flat, although they're pretty big. Um, super comfortable, very light. Um, you can do two devices at once, which I thought was really cool. You can have like your Mac and your phone paired to them and listen to audio on either and still take phone calls on them, even though the microphone wasn't very good. Um, good battery life, all that kind of stuff. But um, again, just the Bluetooth audio quality isn't terribly good. And that did not win. Yeah, so I, I mentioned that I, I loved the Around Ear 1 headphones. Um, for commuting, they were great because, you know, a wired headphone tends to get tangled up, you know, in sweatshirts and backpacks. And as you're moving around, it's just, it's great to have wireless headphones. But, and I, and when you I actually didn't realize that a newer version of these had come out, 
So I was like literally just about to like instantly buy them when you sent me the link. But I, then I kind of thought about it some more and I remembered why I stopped using the first version. And it was because um, I, the number one time where they're the, you know, the best for me is when I'm commuting and I almost always have sunglasses on as you know, I'm going to work. And um, when you, when you wear glasses, the around ear design uh, tends not to work very well. Because, you know, your sunglasses have to kind of go basically on the inside of the headphone and you, you lose that seal. Um, and so it just it ends up not not being the most comfortable and it, it kind of degrades the sound quality even more. Sure. Yeah. And I found that to be kind of the case, but actually much less so on the uh, QC25s. Yeah. So let's let's get to those. Um, I'm super interested to see um, how those have been for you. So the QC25s are amazing. They they sound perfect. I, I'm not an audiophile. I don't want to act like I'm somebody who you should take advice from. I, I, I want headphones that sound good enough, that have nice, like where you, where you can hear all, all the parts of a song. But I, I don't have any knowledge to say that I know what the music should actually sound like. You know how there's those uh, weird uh, audiophile people, right? Oh, absolutely. So anyway, I thought that they have like very clear, full sound um, at low and high volumes. That's one of the things with the Bluetooth headphones that I found that some of them, when they're on low volume, they sound even worse. Like everything gets even further compressed where it just sounds like an uh, like an FM or an AM ready, uh, radio. Uh, there's no lag compared to Bluetooth, which is one of the things I really dislike about Bluetooth. Like if you're watching a video on your iPhone, it tries to sync it up, but it doesn't always do the perfect job of it. And like when you pause something, like it, it's there's like a second and a half delay before it catches up. Um, construction of the QC25s is great. They do fold flat. They don't like collapse into themselves, but they do fold flat. Um, they the noise cancellation is fantastic. And on the QC25s, you can turn the noise cancellation off and use them as regular headphones. Uh, the the audio cable has a inline uh, microphone and. Uh, uh, volume and uh, playback controls, which I think is great. And they're just pretty great. Su- super happy with them. Yeah, I like I like that idea or the option of being able to turn the noise canceling off. The The QC15s that I have do, do not have that option. Um, and usually when I use those, I, you know, I, I want there to be noise cancellation. So it obviously doesn't bother me at all, but it, it would definitely be nice to to have that option. Yeah. So overall, it the answer to my wireless headphone question was to not have wireless headphones. <laughs> because the uh, Powerbeats wireless are fantastic for uh, workouts. I think they're awful for every other situation. Like I think their fiddliness and like the not un- like not they're not uncomfortable. But if you move like a lot for me, the seal will get broken a lot. But when I'm running, I don't really care because they're the only headphones I've had that still sound good and stay on my ears. But I, I don't think I would ever want to use those as day-to-day headphones. So for me, it's just um, I have a couple of pairs of earpods that I'll continue to use. But most other times, I'll be using the QC25s. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been kind of the same result for me where I, in a lot of situations where I am wearing headphones, having wireless headphones would be preferred. But the trade-offs just haven't been worth it. Sure. And the only thing I will say I th- that maybe nobody else cares about, but I think is weird, is that the QC25s uh, use a AAA battery. 
to power the noise cancellation part of it. I just think that's so weird that they're not rechargeable. Yeah, the, the QC15s are the same way. Like, I don't mind, and I think that's kind of cool in the sense that, like, if you are running really low, you just have, like, a little a little battery with you. But, I don't know, just, uh, alkaline batteries. Yeah, it's not ideal, but the, the good thing is they last forever, so... Yeah, so I haven't had to change the uh, change the battery yet, and I've and I've used them quite a bit. So it says the thirty to forty hours or something. So right, yeah, yeah, uh, highly highly endorsed or recommended. Yeah, nice. Sounds great with uh, Taylor Swift music. I bet. All right, well, that's my two cents. So give me something on your side of the thing. Um, so I think I, I'd like to talk about. Um, we mentioned this at near the beginning of the show um, when we were talking about TV uh, TiVo. Um, and sort of a, a new thing that I've discovered with my TiVo, or at least used for the first time, and that was the um, Bolt's ability to save shows offline and to you know download them to your mobile device and then watch them as if you had you know purchased the season off of iTunes or something. Um, so this is something that was available on the Romeo Pro. So I think you have this, right? Yes, sir. Um, and I, I had opted to cheap out and just get the regular Romeo and, you know, having used this offline feature this past week, you know, my only regret with it is I wish I had had it earlier because it, it's awesome. Um, you know, basically the way this works is anything that you've got saved on your DVR, when you open the, the TiVo app on your internal network, you can, you know, look at those shows and any show that you want to download to your iPad, there's literally a simple download button. And then the show um, proceeds to then be saved to your iPad. Um, it takes a little while. Like for each hour episode of The Walking Dead, it took about 40 to 45 minutes to put on the iPad. Um, the good news, though, is you can just, you know, you can queue up however many shows you want and just kind of let your iPad sit in the background and let it do its thing. So, you know, it, it takes 30 40% longer than you know it would to just download the show off of something like iTunes on a reasonable internet connection and I, I assume the reason it takes so long is because it, it also has to you know like transcode the video um, but in any case you know as long as you're thinking about it ahead of time and you know you give yourself the time before you're leaving on a trip like I was last week to to do that it's it's not really a problem and the results are great um the quality's good. Um, you've got all, or pretty much all, the same TiVo controls. So you've got like the thirty-second forward skip and all that good stuff. Um, overall, just an awesome experience, and you know, it ends up saving you a lot of money because instead of having to buy a season of TV from Amazon or our, you know, iTunes or wherever, you can just you know leverage the existing cable subscription you've got and you know take the shows with you. So really awesome and like i said the my only only regret is i wish i had it earlier so a couple of questions because i've had mixed success when i've tried this and and it's why i don't use it anymore um does the do you have to leave the tivo app in the foreground of your phone or can you continue to use it for other things and have it continue to download in the background. No, you, you do have to leave it on in the foreground from what I saw. And, and you actually, for me at least, you even had to leave the screen of your iPad turned on. Um, like See, if that's I, madness. Yeah, like if, if I put my iPad to sleep, it, it would stop. Um, like it would, it looked, seemed like it would like lose the connection to the TiVo. 
So what I would do is I would just, you know, line up all the shows I wanted to download, queue them up, and then I would just plug my iPad in and then just, you know, let it sit there with the screen on and everything. And then the screen would automatically turn itself off and everything when it was done, but... <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that part of it's not not ideal by any means, but... You know, I I think that little inconvenience is totally worth, you know, not having to pay for shows that you, you know, already have access to on your TV. That's fair. Um, Have you tried any of the uh, out-of-home streaming, like a live television with it, or not yet? Well, so the the Bolt, unfortunately, doesn't support out-of-home streaming yet. It's something that they say they're going to add next year. Um, so I can only do in-home streaming, and I, I I have done that. I've done that with both live TV and with shows that I've had previously recorded, and it, it's nice, you know. Wait, uh, so that's not a hardware limitation. No, that's just a software thing. Have they given any reason for why? Just just wasn't ready, I guess. I don't know. But it's already ready on the Romeos. Yeah, I, I I don't have a good answer, but it's it's something that when you look on the Amazon page, it says it does not yet support, but will in a upcoming software update. Interesting. Well, on on the software update news, it looks like my old uh, aging Romeo Pro will at least is uh, this week getting uh, was it called Quick Mode, which is the one where it tries to speed up the audio. It tries to do smart speed trademark. Yeah, so quick for... Quick Mode is yeah where it tries to kind of dynamically speed up what you're watching. Um, and then I think it's quick skip, which is the, um, the ad, the ad skipping feature. So apparently that's not there yet, but, but, it, but it's, coming. but it's coming. It's coming like any day now. Like I think, um, December 10th was the official date, but then I, the Engadget article that I linked you to in, in the Slack made it sound like the San Francisco Bay area is like a, a test area. So you might even be able to like force your TiVo to look for another software update and you might actually already have access to this. Hmm, I'll give that a try. Yeah. Um the yeah, the the, the quick skip thing um has become just a staple of um my TiVo viewing. It it is it's incredible. I've been using it just about every day, you know, watching TV like, watching TV that I record and it it's it's so cool. You re- you really miss it on shows that, you know, doesn't have it. So when you approach a commercial break, is there any warning or does it just immediately resume? What what do you mean? Like does it say like a uh, commercial break upcoming or like or does it just like how does it know it's not wrong? Oh it it is wrong occasionally. Um not very often, but every every once in a while it is. But no, so when when the commercial starts, a little reminder comes up that says, Hey, you know, to click the the it's the green D button by default to to skip through these commercials and so you click it and then you know instantaneously you're brought to you know right when the show comes back okay so so it's not entirely automatic no it's not automatic at all in the sense that you you have to push this button and i actually was thinking about that the other night when i was using it i was kind of wondering why there wasn't an option just to have it be automated gotcha i thought that's my initial impression was that it just always just skipped ads and sometimes it might be wrong where that no, that sounds way more sensible. Well, I mean, so it it's still it still can be wrong because when you sometimes when you push the button, it will bring you back like in the middle of something. Um, gotcha. It, it again, that doesn't happen very often, um, but it, it does occasionally. Um, 
but I mean, basically it's, you know, when commercials start, instead of hitting the 30 second skip button, like four or five times, you just press this button once and it, it you know, it, it's as if you time that 30 second, you know, button perfectly every time. Very nice. Hmm. Well, I look forward to that, uh, coming to my, uh, old TiVo eventually. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Can't can't say enough good things about it. Big big fan of uh big fan of my TiVo Bolt. That's that's secretly or quietly been my favorite tech purchase of 2015. Are you hinting at some type of a countdown show? I I, some... I I might be. I might be. We should we should tungle out. All right. And Actually, let's let's cover two small things uh, alongside this. Um so in market streaming for major league baseball games for um again don't don't get excited for anybody who's listening in the bay area uh this is only for teams that have broadcast rights with fox sports is that accurate that is correct so that's very disappointing but um it's progress so, uh, sort of i hope yeah it, it it's totally progress um and when you really take a step back and think about, you know, what Fox is offering here where, you know, you still have to have a cable login. So it's not as if you can just sign up for MLB at bat and, you know, skirt having to subscribe to your cable provider in order to see local games. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to see why this wasn't just a universal thing, like why Comcast isn't on board with this, too. I, I don't really know what the downside to them is here. Neither do I, because you can stream Warriors games using uh, NBC Sports Live Extra, which is the worst name ever. But yeah, you still can't uh, stream Giants game. And I, and I don't understand why you can't, because I assume there's some type of Major League Baseball licensing agreement. But I, 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 I hope whatever Fox did to get around it or to work within those bounds makes its way to this. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I just I really don't see what the downside is. Because uh, like that's the only thing that I use my TiVo uh, Romeo Pros uh, out of home streaming feature for, and it works pretty well. But uh, com like uh, either the upstream bandwidth of my home connection or some hiccup along the way, like usually there's always kind of a, a moment where it'll like buffer and then kind of just gets stuck. And I'm not sure it's any device's like unique problem. I just think it's the fact that like point to point streaming isn't that good right now. And that's and that's really tricky, but it could be solved by just offering it for somebody who pays for it. So, yeah, it's you know I don't know I I don't I don't again don't have a good answer why you know this wouldn't this wasn't just universally available. Why can't you have all the answers? I'm I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, can you tell me why Comcast's new uh, Boston-based uh, in-home uh, IPTV service doesn't count against your data caps? I, I don't have an answer for that either, actually. Well, you do. Um, that okay. That that was a setup. No, that one does have an answer. Well, okay, well, I it has a. Um, I have a speculative answer. Well, no, there's a real answer. It doesn't go over the internet. Oh. I mean that one. Well, like that, so, that's not that's not the direction I was going to go with this, but. Well, you can okay. How are you going to get it? Well, so my my the way that I see this is this feels a lot to me like a creative way of getting around net neutrality. I don't think so. Okay. Well, the, the, explain your side. Be if you're going to be delivering video that way and it's originating from, like it's kind of, like think of it 
as the Comcast network as being like in, like you're having a land party at your house. And I, keep in mind, I don't know what a land party is, <laughs> but I, th- I, I make an analogy without all the facts. But like you're streaming, well, think of it like TiVo, uh, TiVo Romeo's in-home streaming or TiVo Bolt's in-home streaming. It's being delivered from a content source inside of your network. It's never hitting the internet's like actual pipes. Like, because that's what ca- uh, um, cable internet is. It's one gigantic uh, LAN that then eventually goes out to the internet. Well, so I get, I get um, it, technically why this wouldn't count against a data cap. But I think the, the problem with that is Comcast is the only company w- who has access to that direct connection. And so... Well, but they do for regular cable TV anyway. They do, and but... that and the thing is, this only works in home, so it's the exact same thing. Mm. I, I I guess it just it feels it feels a lot like to me that you know these net neutrality rules have passed, and so now these companies are in a position where they're going to have to come up with other creative ways to manage traffic, and this this just feels like the first attempt at that. Well, I mean, I think this is a way of kind of reconciling the decrease in video subscriptions and people who find internet to be the most valuable part of whatever they sign up for from Comcast. I, th- I think it's just a different way of delivering the same content that they've already had. Yeah, I mean, I I see that view, but um, I guess I guess what'll be interesting to to see is if we see agreements kind of like what T-Mobile's doing with their video and music services where they they sign up with third parties to say, you know, hey, these these handful of providers don't count against your cap. Well, but for landline service providers, that's illegal. Well, I don't know. I I, I don't no, know. No, no, it is. Zero zero rating the a certain provi- a certain content providers and and sources is illegal for wireline providers. There's a weird exemption that applies to wireless service providers, which is why Ben John and Music Freedom from that magenta shirt guy are able to to skirt past this. You're, wait, so you're you're saying it's illegal for a company like Comcast to say to put a data cap in place and then say, "Hey, Netflix doesn't count against it." Exactly. That's a, that's a that's a, a billing thing called zero rating, where you choose certain providers and like host names that don't count against a cap, and under net current net neutrality laws. That is not allowed. Ah, so this so this has already been addressed by net neutrality, for the most part, and and that's where people seem to think that Comcast is skirting that with this uh, in-home uh, television offering. But again, I don't think it does because again, it's not going over the internet, and it's much cheaper and it's more efficient and just more a, a lot of everything to do it inside your own network which is why this works and which is why it would stream a hell of a lot more reliably than uh, like streaming from YouTube or a different provider where buffering and, and latency issues make this not necessarily feasible. Got it. All right. So do you want to get into the meat of the show or, or the, the, the big topic or the one where this might go, uh, go off the rails? <laughs> sure. Okay. Let's talk about music and Adele. Okay. So, so what are your feelings, sir? Cause I, it seems like you have some very charged and, uh, you seem to be somebody who's very much uh, on the uh, new music uh, economy 
and business model like uh, bandwagon or, or like you think you think everything should be going towards streaming because that is the future and that everybody else in the music industry should uh, get on board and stop trying to breathe more life into a dying business model. Have I, have I accurately collected your general sentiment? I think so. Um, and the, the one, you know, a couple things I would point out. First is, you know, I, I work for a, a company affiliated with music streaming. So I, I can't say that I'm completely unbiased in any way. And I fully acknowledge that even in the conversations that we have. I'm not entirely certain that's coloring your opinion. No, it's not. Um, it, it's totally not. I mean, I, I think the opinions I have today are the same ones that I had many years prior to my current job. So I, you know, I, I don't think... I don't think that my job is what colors this by any means. Oh, um, no, not at all. But um, I think it's it's important to, to put that out there anyway. So basically, I mean, because a big shift in music has been happening for a very, very long time. It started with, with Napster that kind of destroyed the kind of stranglehold that the RIAA and other music uh, companies had over how we consume music. And a lot of that's changed. And that changed with the iTunes store where per track downloads and electronic music dis- uh, distribution took hold and then music became DRM free. And then now we have all these streaming services where people play a fat, r- um, a flat rate and get access to as much music as they want. And then Spotify and the other streaming providers will pay fractions upon uh, on fractions of a penny per stream. And I guess the debate that we're having or the part where I think like mega artists and people who are extremely popular have no incentive to try to advance the destruction of their livelihoods. And then I'm saying that somebody like Adele, who, by the way, with the album 25, sold more albums than anybody in the history of ever, uh, who did not put her music up on Spotify, which probably helped those album sales. So basically, I want to know why... What responsibility do you think that Adele has, or or artists like her, to put their music up in less profitable ways? I'm I'm not I'm not sure that she has a responsibility to do anything. I mean, who who am I to say you know what she should do with her music? Um, I think what I what I've been trying to get at in the conversations we've been having is. I think it's. I think we have to be careful with not looking at Adele as the typical example, and say, "See, because because she kept her music off of streaming services, she was able to sell a lot more albums." I like what I what I'm afraid of is that, you know, there's a narrative out there that people will start to get behind where. They say they tell every artist, you know, hey, it's this this is the this is the trick to selling more selling more spinning discs, and that's that's where I vehemently disagree. Okay, so a couple of things with that. So I I'm not really sure that any credible person is suggesting that Adele or Taylor Swift or any other popular artist is operating on the same level as anybody else and that their economics of music production and well, sales no is... I, that's not that I don't that, that's not the direction I'm going with it but I I'm saying that people use Adele as an example they try to use her as an example of saying you know see you artists are better off for not allowing their music to be streamed and instead just selling their 
music through you know the old the old way well no but that's exactly what i'm saying is that people like them it's it's not the same at all they're operating on this entirely different level where the business decision has to be made of why when you have content that people want so badly and that is is worth purchasing at full value why on earth would you make that available on less profitable platforms that's just going to take away from what is an old and dying business model but as of right now it is the most profitable way to distribute your music and it's not just spinning discs it's uh electronic album and single track sales so i think that's the point i keep trying to make which is that the popular artists today have to make the decision of what's best for them and for adele that that's what that has to be so like while she, i i don't think like she's somehow going to like engender all this goodwill from people who can stream her album from day one on streaming services and she makes a fraction of what she could have made of selling it the old way. I I think I, I think as long as you caveat what you just said in, in the way that you said it, which is big artists like Adele, fine. But I, I think that that's where where I have a problem with the, the story is if you try to generalize it to mu- the music industry as a whole. So I don't think that at all. I think there are a lot of small like and I think there's a, like a tier of like super artists that can get away with this. I think because of the shifts in consumer tastes and business models, I think that's constantly shrinking. And there are artists that you might say are pretty popular that probably do need streaming services. So I think, no, we're only talking about a very small subset of established artists or people who get popular really quickly and have the backing of um, music labels. But no, there's a whole ton of other people that do need the exposure and distribution and the ease of discovery that streaming music services and internet radio services provide. And it's just that Adele and Taylor Swift and other people have such a large audience that already exists that promotion from internet radio is is great, but streaming music services where they, which streaming music services that often at times will, I, I think devalue music aren't the best way to go about that until that model is closer to being dead i mean yeah i feel like in in a lot of ways we we agree a lot more than we disagree here um but i just i just think it's so important to make that distinction between having adele's story be specific to artists like herself versus a strategy which is viable for the rest of the industry sure sure because i think also on that note, people who are bu- like I think the budget that people have set aside for traditional music consumption or like buying and owning music is probably shrinking. And if you're going to buy a certain number of albums, it's probably going to be the most popular people, which means that for everybody else, that's probably going to end up being the $10 a month that you spend on Spotify or Apple Music. Yeah, no, I I think yeah, I, 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 if you if you had looked at our Slack conversations about this over the last couple of weeks, I guess it would have made it sound like we disagreed a lot more than we than we actually do. But I, I think we're I think we're basically saying the same thing. We are, and and you need to start uh, listening to that album and particularly that song because it's 
I know. I'm I'm normally pretty uh, pretty hip with uh, what's popular with, in the in the top forty, but uh, I I have missed out on this one so far. Yeah, streaming music that's gonna that's gonna be uh, challenging pretty soon. Yeah, the, I mean the music industry as a whole is is really fascinating, no no doubt. Um, and it it has been interesting for a really long time. Um, but now with you know the rise of smartphones and faster mobile connections, where you know streaming has really become like a viable thing, um, it it's it's reached kind of a a new a new level of of interestingness for lack of a a better word sure and to close out this topic i just want to ask a question so what do you think the the gradual fading away of purchasing music and and the old style of music and streaming services and other things what do you think that's doing to the value of music do you think like free streaming services hurt that do you think do you think people who subscribe to Spotify perhaps like do they do you think they realize how little they pay for music and do you think that teaching people that music should be flat rate is the best way going forward? Um well, you know, obviously you you don't want to devalue music. You know, I I I'd like to believe that all of these streaming companies who who do care about music also don't want to, to devalue music. I don't, I don't think that's the goal. Um, but I mean, the reality is that the way people are consuming music has, has fundamentally changed. And, you know, one of the ways that I look at it too, is, you know, the old business model of paying, you know, 1499 for a CD, you know, in in a lot of ways that never was the way consumers wanted to buy music. You know, when you'd spend 15 bucks on a CD, you'd really only end up listening to maybe three or four of the dozen or so tracks on the disc. I mean, every once in a while, you'd get an album that you really did truly enjoy start to finish. But more often than not, you really were buying it for, you know, a a couple of popular songs. And, you know, you can prove that theory out by looking at things like the Now series, you know, where they would basically create like a mixtape and compile the most popular songs of the time and that was like, you know, the ultimate CD you could buy. So like the the way that people valued music, I don't know if it's changed a ton. It's just that, you know, instead of being forced to to buy an album where they really only wanted a couple of songs, now they actually have the ability to just very specifically go in and listen to the songs that they've wanted to, which was simply something that just wasn't possible before. But I I would disagree. I'd push back on that. Is that with the with the advent of the iTunes Music Store in two thousand three and beyond, you were able that that paradigm and, and consumer limitation in the marketplace got lifted because you were not forced to buy entire albums to get the songs that you want. You could buy it on a per track basis. So I think that already happened. Um. Yes, it it, it did, but um. You know, I I guess then what that leads to is, you know, okay, you you don't as as the as an artist or as a music label, okay, you don't, um, you don't want to give people, you know, the option to to stream, which is you know the way now that that's become like the, the next thing. So we to your point, we we went from CDs and we went to kind of individual digital downloads, but now people want to even get away from that they don't want to have to you know manage music libraries and remember 
which devices they have which songs downloaded to. Now they just want one central place where they can either download songs or just stream them in real time and access playlists and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's almost it's almost like this the same story again where you know people have a a preference with the way they want to listen to music and you know the industry is is kind of pushing back and i guess i just don't know like like what's the what's the alternative to that well i i guess and again this isn't an immediately solvable problem or anything that we that i have a whole ton of knowledge about but do you ever think that there needs to like would there ever be per track listening fees do you ever think that there would be multiple tiers of a subscription like there would be spotify with spotify standard that's ten dollars a month and then there's spotify uh premium or whatever that would include top tier artists like i mean well because but not, I think all, you... not all content is valued at the same at the same price so if you're somebody who listens to just sugar ray uh like 15 year old back catalog stuff and let's say adele and taylor swift and everybody all their first run stuff was on it you, th- that content's not of the same value that, that's that's a problem though because how do you define what you, you use the phrase what top tier content what is that defined as because you know someone like taylor swift she's an independent artist she's not affiliated with a major label so you can't you can't just say okay take the top four labels take their catalogs of music and put them into an upper tier because you can't possibly tell me that some middling artist on a, a big label is more popular than someone like taylor swift well, there, there could be like a percentage of total listen time. Uh, I, I mean, like, like may, let's say, maybe. let's say on, but, on, but on then, a, but then you're getting at what music is just popular on a particular service. No, once you get to a certain scale, like Apple Music, or which like encompasses a entire, like just a crazy amount of users, um, and Spotify, you're not like pandering to some. Like I think RDO is probably more of a niche service, but I think Spotify and uh, Apple Music. Probably the listenership is probably a broad representation of the world and of the United States. So, I, I, I don't know that the the that's the problem where not that's the problem with all unlimited services and things where you pay once, um, and you get everything because the people who don't listen to the best stuff are subsidizing the cost for everybody else, and the people who. Like it just it doesn't make sense. Not all content is of the same value. Well, I but I I don't entirely disagree with that. But I, I think trying to define which content is you know in in air quotes more valuable is is a tr- that's a tricky thing. Well, hold on. Let, let, for example, and again, I'm not sure if this totally converts. But let's talk about Netflix. Like you know how Netflix will pay a lot of money to have certain like first run movies for a while, or they'll like how much uh, uh, does Netflix have uh, friends on it? I I believe it does, yeah. Like they they recently paid a lot of money for a certain TV show. So how, like how do you how do you reconcile that where there's certain content that the rights holders and the production companies value as being far more important and adds a certain level of value for the end user, but the price of the service doesn't change. Well, but I mean the amount of money that that artist is getting paid is is larger because their track is getting played more and they're getting paid per play i don't like that answer but i can't really explain why (laughs) like do you do you understand like where it just feels wrong but there's no i i i don't because i i don't 
And I don't, I don't really even necessarily agree with your Netflix example either, because, you know, friends being on Netflix might be hugely valuable to many people, but it also may not be valuable at all to others. So I, I don't, I don't like the idea of trying to define what is like more important or more valuable universally. Well, no, but, but, I just but, don't... That, but that, that exists in life. Like when you want to buy a paperback book of Moby Dick and you want to buy the latest Stephen King novel, they have different costs because the, the content is of different value. If there was something like, is does Kindle have like a all you can read plan? Yeah, they do, but it doesn't doesn't really have a lot of like first run exactly novels. exactly. Well, but okay, so that that goes back to my original question then, which is, so so okay, so if if the current if the current ten dollar per month model or whatever you want to refer to it as doesn't work, you know what what is what's the viable alternative? I mean, you know, are are as a music label or as an artist? I mean, are is the answer to just completely pull away from streaming? And that's that's a perfect example because both of the things we're talking about prove that point beautifully. Like a Kindle Unlimited, because which apparently is actually a thing, and Netflix, both you have like a broad base of older stuff. Like let's say you really are into like Leonardo DiCaprio movies, you can watch a lot a lot of back catalog stuff on Netflix. Um, yeah, but can... but again, but you're you're talking about the the the, the top tier already known, you know, in your example, actors. But we could easily apply this to artists too. If you're a up and coming artist or band, and you want your name to to get out there, and you want to build an audience of fans, and you want people to discover your music, and you but you also want to say, I don't want to be available on streaming. I want people to have to buy my music. Well, you don't have that option. No, you don't have that option. So that, that's but what, you don't get to have that option, right? Because that that's just simple. That's not that's not the way the industry works anymore. Exactly. No, I totally agree. Again, uh, again, this whole argument goes back to certain content is worth more than others. And again, this gets proven time and time again that the top tier content get is exclusive, and you buy it. You're not going to get the best movies on Netflix. You're not going to get the best books on Kindle Unlimited because it just doesn't make economic sense. Certain content is worth more. If you're an up-and-coming artist, your music needs to be on SoundCloud, and you want it on Pandora, and you want it on Spotify. You want it every place anybody could possibly listen to it so there's a better chance that they go see you live and actually contribute something that makes your bottom line better. Well, I mean, I, I think if if you're a big name artist and you and you want to pull off of these streaming services, I I don't necessarily agree that that's the smartest thing to do. But I mean, obviously, they have every right to do so. Again, I'm going to ask just to, before we wrap this this topic up. Again, how is it not the smartest thing to do? That's the part I guess I I don't I can't get around. Well, because I, I just I just don't I don't know if just selling the most albums in one week. Which is just, it's a splashy headline and whatever. It gets people talking about this. But to me, that's somewhat of a narrow and short-sighted view of the value music can have. But here's the thing. Once that initial period wears off and it's no longer the best-selling, um, the best-selling album... It goes on on streaming, and then she gets the she gets the licensing and the the per play fees for that. Oh, maybe maybe that's what she'll do. And that's what Taylor Swift does. That's what everybody does. Well, no, see, that's not what everybody does. That's okay. what a very right. limited number of extremely popular artists. 
All right, you caught me. You caught me. By the way, you know, how how do you think today's artist is going to become the next Taylor Swift or the next Adele? It's because they're going to get discovered on streaming platforms. I disagree. They're going to get discovered on YouTube and SoundCloud. They're not going to get discovered on Spotify. Mm, There's I, a difference. Like like who's, well, who's who's that new kid? I um, I think it I think it's some I think it's some combination of of those things. I don't think it's just YouTube or just SoundCloud. I think I think it's a I I completely agree they play a part, but it's it's more than that. Like who there's this new kid, like some guy named Sean Mendez. Like apparently he like got discovered on like Vine or something. Like and and Bieber was like a a YouTube kid. I I I really don't think I think the ease of access of having music available on Spotify is great and that helps maybe create awareness for album or for more album purchases and, and sales but I don't think and I think it's a great discovery platform but I don't think it's going to take somebody who's a lesser known artist and going to shoot them into like the stratosphere of being like a top tier artist hmm. that's the part I, I disagree with hmm. oh we, we can agree to disagree on that all right so let's 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 move on to some easier, uh, less controversial subjects. <laughs> okay. Because I told you this would be the longest show ever. Um, something I hopefully we're on the same page about. Uh, the iPhone Seven uh, allegedly will not have a headphone jack. Ugh. Yeah. Do you think that's the progress, or do you think <laughs> this phone does not need to be thinner? And why are you ruining everything? It's good. I I agree with the latter. No, I, okay. it's um, you know, it, it's I don't know if I. I do you feel this way sometimes where you like you read kind of an Apple rumor and you're like, especially the ones that obviously, you, you know, like this where we don't, don't necessarily think that's a good idea. You like look at it and you're like, this is true. Damn, damn it. it. This is going to happen. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but like when I saw this headline the other day, I was like, 100%, this is totally happening. There's no doubt that this is something that Apple would do. Um, so, yeah. So the rumor here is Apple removing the three and a half millimeter headphone jack from uh, the the iPhone, which in a lot of ways, ironically, ties back to our headphone discussion. So, you know, those notes you have about your Bluetooth wireless headphones, you might want to hold on to those. <laughs> um, I'll just have another crappy dongle that's going to go in my yeah. Apple, Apple adapt into something that used to work pile. Yeah. So, you know, so I, and, and the rumor would be that, you know, Apple would just encourage headphone develop, headphone manufacturers to use the lightning port, which... I mean, I, there are some that'll do it, I guess, but... Um, but what, are, are Macs going to now come with lightning ports? Like, that's that's the thing. Probably. No, it better not. I thought that was a whole fucking point of USB-C. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, for a lot of reasons, this this rumor doesn't make sense to me. And, like, I mean, the thing that... I mean, we, we've talked... I feel like we've talked about this a million times on the show, but... You know, I'm, I'm holding my iPhone 6s right now, and I have absolutely no desire for this phone to be thinner. Like it, it, it is perfectly balanced the way that it is now. I'm holding my iPhone 6s that's in a big ass Mophie case, and I don't think it needs to be thinner. Yeah. So make a phone that's thicker that that has a larger battery and keep the headphone jack. Because honestly, how much thinner is removing the headphone jack going to make it? I mean, the stories this week have been like a millimeter thinner but then like people well but then people pointed out that like the current iphone touch is already a millimeter 
thinner than the iPhone and it still has a headphone jack. So, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I can understand the appeal of like all digital audio and all that kind of stuff, but it's, this is, this is a bridge too far. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm the person who's complaining that the iMac doesn't have a floppy drive, but it's not the same. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's the same because I, I don't, I don't get the sense that people are moving away from three and a half millimeter headphones. Like, I don't, I don't think there's been this like widespread adoption of Bluetooth headphones. Whereas like, you know, with the floppy drive, people had been moving towards discs, you know, CDs. And then when the CD ROM drive started to go away, people had already kind of moved towards downloading software. Like the next step had already become fairly widely adopted. And I, I don't get any sense because I mean, even, even you and I, like as kind of like, you know, tech nerds, right? Like we, we just had a whole segment on, you know, we didn't, uh, we, we did, we haven't moved towards Bluetooth headphones, and I sure as hell don't want a pair of wired headphones that I can only use on my iPhone. Again, it's just going to be another thing where there's another stupid dongle that you have to use and just you're going to lose it and you have to buy five of them. And it's going to cost you twelve ninety nine at the Apple store. I mean, it feels like we're going back to the original iPhone where you had to have that stupid um, adapter for the recessed headphone jack. Yeah. The only thing I can... Th- I really hope this isn't true. And if anything, I if this is true... I would hope they would wait for a point where I don't know, like I don't keep track of like specifications and and like developments in that sense, but like it, there has to be a, a like an upcoming implementation or, or specification for Bluetooth that doesn't suck. Like right? I mean, Bluetooth is Bluetooth is always getting revised, but it's but like I mean, there needs to be like if there was a new specification, and I shouldn't say that Bluetooth stinks or anything, but like it's there has to be something that does something about the latency issue. That there has to be higher fidelity audio and all this kind of stuff. Like if there, if this was accompanied by them saying there's this new, there's there's Bluetooth uh, uh, 6.0, and uh, there's zero lag or, or like there's no latency, the audio quality is fantastic, rivaling that of wired connections, and it's it's way better. Then sure, I think like if they could make a pair of earpods or something that were Bluetooth and worked like that, that would be the time to do it. But none of that stuff's there yet. So I think like whenever if you're going to try to disrupt or or, or ch- I hate that word but like to try to change something so dr- drastically you need something that is already better to offer as an alternative and right now bluetooth is not that. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. We needed we needed a topic where uh we see it eye to eye. Uh, eye, to eye. Yeah, no that that would good good palate cleanser. All right. Well, well we we can we can go do- we can go back to one that we don't agree on. Are we talking about the iPad Pro or which one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, actually, I think we might agree more, or unless you have, just go for it, we'll see. Well, okay, so I so I posed this question to you in Slack the other day, which, so there, there's been this whole um, viewpoint of the the iPad Pro where, you know, the only way that it can really be successful is if it, it replaces your, uh, your MacBook or your, you know, MacBook Air, Retina, MacBook Pro, whatever you have, your, your laptop, generally speaking. Um, and I guess like, I don't know, I started thinking about this more like, you know, as someone who carries around, uh, Retina MacBook Pro every day and, you know, has traveled with it, you know, I took it with me to Europe this summer. I took it with me to Southern California last week. Like it's with me just about every day. Um, I, I personally don't have any desire to 
replace it with an iPad. Like even even if the iPad Pro had a lot of its shortcomings fixed where like the keyboard shortcuts were greatly improved and if and if they added which I don't think they ever will but if they added like a, a cursor where you could like hook up a mouse and all that kind of stuff like even if the iPad Pro had all of that like I still wouldn't be running out the door looking to you know buy one of them and then sell my MacBook Pro like I'm pretty content with my laptop it's pretty thin it's pretty light it gets decent battery life it's fast it's got the full version of OS 10 on it I guess I just I guess I'm just struggling with figuring out why people are so anxious to throw their laptop out the window and just use an iPad full time. So I think I think this is like ten different things. First, I the iPad Pro is is a weird product that I think a lot of people are trying to make into a much more uh broadly useful product than it actually is or actually will be. Particularly, like I was listening to this week's upgrade, and Merlin had said that he's trying he's trying to find a way to fit it into his life, and I, that struck me as so weird in the sense that I think a product should be trying to fit into your life and and be immediately useful. So I think that's the weird part about the iPad Pro. In which case, that like it's it's this new gigantic iPad that I think has very specific use cases that makes it better than other tablets but I don't think it is the best iPad for most people. I think it's actually the best. It's it's the wrong iPad for most people. But I think a lot of people are intrigued by the idea in the same thing that, um, I don't know if you remember back in the day, there were uh, there was a company that was made what were called mod books, where it was a touchscreen Mac. Like they would convert your uh, MacBook Pro in, uh, and include like a, a Wacom digitizer. And it was a, it, it made your Mac a full tablet computer. And I think people still like that idea and they want something that's maybe surface-ish that runs a full-blown operating system. And Apple keeps on trying to suggest that the iPad and iOS are getting more serious about multitasking and actual work. And I just don't think that's the case. And I think a lot of people are being too aspirational about that. Because for me, I do think that the uh, my Mac Pro is still a bit too heavy and is not necessarily the best computer that it could be. But I, I don't see where the iPad Pro fits in, because once you add a keyboard to it, the weight almost becomes that of a Retina MacBook Pro. The keyboard that Apple's shipping, it, it by almost all reviews and accounts, is is absolutely terrible. And the software still isn't there for a multitude of other reasons, which we'll, we'll get into later, the, the App Store and the fact that they're not helping nurture any type of viable software development uh, ecosystem for apps that aren't three dollars. So, I think there's it, the the frenzy or, or the excitement around the iPad Pro is misplaced. But I think it speaks to a lot of other issues that aren't necessarily that. And I know this is going to sound like a commercially old thing because I'm somebody who I like. I am not going to give up a traditional computer for a very long time. My iPad Air two does some very specific things very well, but I. If I have to only carry one device, I'm always going to pick my laptop. It's better at ebook reading and it's better at like having presentation notes on and sometimes playing games. But almost everything else can be done more efficiently with the way I work through a mouse and keyboard. And I know that that will, like some might say, well, you're just not giving it a chance or you're trying to, you're not 
embracing like this new like design shift or the way things will be and you're just being stubborn about it but i don't necessarily think that's it i don't think that the product is mature enough and has has the legs to to be as successful as people seem to want it to be i don't know it's just a very confusing product and a very confusing kind of narrative that so many people are trying to write around it yeah and and like i said i mean i this is even more curmudgingly to say but i i just i don't even have a a strong desire to replace my laptop i mean if if something legitimately came along that was better i'd be open to it but i just i I feel like my laptop works and let me me give you an example so let's pretend that apple made a surface uh is it called a surface book yeah yeah let's say they made one of those that didn't have that weird uh hinge that doesn't close all the way they made a mac that became a tablet and you could uh, detach and attach the keyboard whenever you want to. Is that a product you would want? I, I think it is, yeah. So that's something that they'll never make, though. Right. So I think that's the thing. I think people like me, I've I've always wanted that. And even though I know it wouldn't really be the computer that I'd want, just the fact that sometimes I don't need the keyboard and I would love to have just a thing that I could write on with a pen or, or an Apple Pencil, I don't even care at this point. I think that would be a really fun and interesting product. And that's what a lot of people want. I think that's what they see as like some twinkle of potential in the iPad Pro, but that it's just not, it's not there, but they're still trying to make it there. Like I think anybody who isn't just writing documents, they're trying to say that, yes, it is a device that you can get actual work done on. And I I just don't see it. And trying to say that like, you're going to, move away from a traditional computer to to this device that when you add a keyboard is at best a pound lighter like that's the part that makes no sense to me i, I think like the this you know the surface pro and the surface book and now like the ipad pro i think these all fall under the same umbrella which is we all know that laptops aren't the end-all be-all for mobile computing and we we want there to be kind of like the next thing, but we haven't found it yet. Like I don't I don't think the tablet as we know it today is the answer primarily because of the limited methods of input, which we've talked a lot about on the show. So are you, so you're saying it's a hardware issue rather than a software issue? Oh no, it's it's both. I, I'm just I'm using input as as being one example, but it, it's definitely both hardware and software. So it. On that note, do you think that we're wrong? Like, Because I think that's the point that a lot of people will make is that we're thinking about the situation wrong in that we're used to our old input methods and therefore we think that's the best way to do things and we're resistant to thinking the way that iOS and going forward it'll be. Similar to the way that control, uh, sorry, command line people rejected uh graphic user uh, graphic user interfaces yeah gruber and and jason talked some about that on the the episode of the talk show that they were on together um and i did i did think that was a really interesting point um but thing is like doesn't it have to do more that's the thing like ios it does certain things better but most things are decidedly worse well and and that's what i would say is that like you know using like the command line versus like a graphical user interface as an example yes there were people who wanted to hold on to the 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 terminal and, and not switch over to you know icons and a mouse and keyboard and all that but 
it, it, you know, even for those people, I think it would be it'd be hard to make a great case against that move. Like, just objectively, a user interface is going to be better and more robust than a a terminal for a lot of different things. And yeah, yes, there are counterexamples to that, no doubt. But by and large, that's just simply a a better experience. Um. You know, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't feel like we're being old and curmudgeon and just trying to hold on to the old way of doing things. I, I do still really feel like I can be way more productive on my laptop than I can be on either my iPhone or iPad. And I, I would love for someone to come in and show me like on a day-to-day basis how I could be quicker on an iPad or just as quick as I am on my laptop. I'd be open to that, but I just don't, I don't see that. And that, 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 that is my feeling. And I keep, I, I keep trying to be sensitive to the idea that I'm, uh, that I am being the old person and I'm not thinking about it in the proper way. But for me, yeah, there is no substitute for the way that I work. Like, like uh, Jason would talk about uh, on upgrade about how like a, an advanced Mac user, like somebody like like me who uses Text Expander and Apple Script and uh, workflow extensions and all this kind of stuff, is very set in their ways and thinks that, that well, there's no way that iOS could do this. But do you actually need all that? But I think it's not even that. It's the fact that you still don't have like a usable file system that work that moving documents between applications if they don't have the exact right type of sharing extension doesn't work out. Like. I think that the iPad Pro is could be an interesting product if the software is allowed to mature. But at this point, and probably in the next couple of years, I don't think there's a chance that it's ever going to come close to providing what an actual, not even a power user, just somebody who, like every type of, of, of workflow or, or type of work that I think could be successful on an iPad, it just seems so simplistic to me. And and I'm trying to to not think of it in in this old style way, but it's just not there yet. Right, and I, I I don't know. I think the best piece of evidence that we have working in our favor is like I think in general, like we're pretty progressive with technology. I mean, I, I have no problem if something better comes along, throwing out what I currently use and adopting a new thing. I, I do that all the time with both hardware and software. So I in in general like I'm pretty open to new stuff. Like I'm I'm I don't definitely don't feel like I'm set in my ways in, in general. So um you know I I really, I really don't think that if something came along that I really did think was better than a laptop, I you know, I'd switch to it or you know better than a mouse and a keyboard or better than OS 10 whatever. Um whether you're talking hardware or software, but I I just I just don't think that you can look at something like the iPad Pro or the Surface Book or any any of these sort of like hybrid tablet things like and make a good case that they're better than what we currently have. Well, I'm not sure we're going to make too much uh more progress here. So let, let's let's pivot this a little bit. Just what do you think of the App Store situation and specifically how it would relate to the iPad Pro? Because the Pro commands a higher price because it has probably what are more specialized applications and ways that you can use the product. But the App Store has all the exact same limitations of people designing applications that are between $1 and $3 for a phone. 
And Apple seems to have, so far at least, zero interest in supporting uh, trials and paid upgrades and the types of things that make me, as somebody who buys software pretty routinely and doesn't mind spending decent amounts of money on software when I'm able to verify that it meets my needs and does what I want. Like, I, I'm not somebody who's willing to gamble 20 to $80 on software sight unseen that I have no recourse for if it doesn't do what I want or if it doesn't kind of do things the way that I, that, that works for like my way of work. So like, what, what do you feel? Like, do you think Apple's ever going to come around on this or do you think they're just going to hope for the best that people are going to keep willing to bet on the app store? Yeah, this, this is a, this is a really hard one. Um, because you know, what, what I'd want to come out of the gate saying is, well, you know, there, there's no way that a, that a platform can come along and, you know, replace a laptop um where you know the way that you install apps is you know controlled by the the you know platform provider but then you know like we have a fantastic counterexample to that which is the iPhone um and you it's that 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 platform has exploded and has become the primary computing device for a lot of people and you know obviously it's it's locked down with with its app store but that, but that's true only in the sense that almost all mobile software before it was awful. Like, like if you think about, like, I mean, because I'm somebody who had a BlackBerry and had Palm OS. Like, there used to be a website called, um, uh, uh what was it? That doesn't even matter. But uh, that used to sell applications for Palm OS, and it was the worst thing in the world. But almost all Palm OS software was absolutely terrible. If the iPad Pro is a one thousand dollar computer that's being targeted at people wanting to do productivity work. We have established ecosystems on both the uh, Mac side of things and the Windows side of things for people to get actual stuff done that work. So the App Store is providing a less useful and less um, uh, nav navigatable way of getting software for something that has a viable alternative. So that's the part that kills me. Like the iPhone is, is a decent example, except in the past there was no good alternative. In almost every way, the iPhone originally was just kind of this amazing beacon of hope compared to the mess that was Windows Mobile 6 and before, which I'm not sure people understand is how terrible it was. Oh, I, I remember that very well. <laughs> Sorry, your AT&T tilt reminds yeah, me. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, do you, do, you, do you, in the next two years, do you think Apple will ever come around to trials? Because I would spend so much more on software if I could trial it. Because there's no way I would have bought OmniFocus or OmniOutline or any of the software that costs between fifty and hundred dollars a pop without being able to try it first. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say there's no chance of it, but I also wouldn't bet money on it happening. Um, and what do you think about um, paid upgrades? So we get outside of this weird uh, in-app purchase unlock features it's, business. It's, it's got to happen. It has to happen. It really should happen. But so should trials. So again, yeah. not, not should it happen, <laughs> will it happen in the next two years? I, yeah, I, 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 it does feel like Apple is, has been slightly more open to changing things and maybe doing things that we wouldn't have otherwise thought they would in, in the last handful of years. Um, I mean, the fact that the iPad now has like three different screen sizes and the iPhone also has three different screen sizes, like... You know, th there are some things Apple's doing which 
you know, I mean, now with music too, right? Like they're, they're streaming music now, which is something that seemed crazy to them just a handful of years ago. So, you know, it feels like they are coming around on some things, but how far that goes and how quickly it's going to happen, those seem to be kind of open questions. Do you think the iPad Pro in particular will cause Apple to reevaluate this faster? Because Apple can't make enough first-party software to sell the iPad Pro. Like, I think it's the type of product where its success will be on more specialized use cases. And I think a lot of people are not going to be willing to invest the time if they can't price their software high enough to make the investment worth it, particularly on the most expensive iPad that's probably going to be the poorest selling iPad, just in terms of raw units and the potential customers. But it's been proven time and time again that the people who buy specialized things like this are the most willing to spend money on something that would fit their needs. So I guess my question, like, is the iPad Pro what probably the best thing to try to force them into this? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I I think think so, but I whether it'll be enough, I don't know. So, do you have anything else? Yeah, I'm looking at the list here, and we surprisingly got through a lot of it. I'm 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 kind of impressed. It's an impressive show. Yeah. Um, are you still on Apple Music? Uh, yeah, that's it's what I use for like on-demand streaming. Is is yeah, Apple Music. Okay, that's all. Just checking in. Okay, yeah, you, you're you're back on it now too, right? And I'm gonna cancel it again because I I've forgot and I've been reminded of just how absolutely terrible it is. This like, it, do you ever use it on the Mac? Yes, to a very it is, limited it is degree. The absolute worst. Like it. Ah oh, man. It's rough. And 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 Spotify's app is no treat either, but oh my god, it's terrible. Yeah, I don't I don't use it a ton on the Mac, but um yeah, it's 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 okay. Um Well actually can can I share a pro tip with the uh with the listeners? Oh please. I, I think I think that's what they tune in for. So one reason so what, the reason why I'm uh that I signed up for Apple Music again is that I do want um a the most, the main thing that I use uh, actual like native music app for was for my uh, running playlists. And the issue was that those sometimes do feature some uh, people who are not on streaming services, uh, namely uh, top tier artists like Taylor Swift. So um, on Spotify, if I tried to recreate the playlist there, she's not on it. So therefore I could not listen to that music. So there is actually a, a, a trick that you can do. So Spotify's desktop client on OS 10 will allow you to kind of... Um, it will scan your iTunes music library and offer those mu- uh, music files for playback inside of Spotify. And since uh, Spotify does not upload, they, they, like for copyright reasons, they can't upload your um, entire music library to their servers. You can actually uh, make a playlist, include iTunes local tracks, make it available for offline storage. And then if you're on the same Wi-Fi network with your iOS device, you can synchronize it back to your um, to your phone and play those iTunes tracks inside Spotify. So it's the most complicated but, process but in the world. Ju- but just while you're on your local Wi-Fi network. No, no, you can play them out of the house then. Oh. You have to, for, again, copyright reasons, you um, 
have to synchronize it on the same local Wi-Fi network. Oh, I see. But then you can uh, incorporate iTunes music into it. Got it. So gigantic pain in the ass, but it solved my issue. Because again, for me, just finding a song that I want to listen to, adding it to my library, and just kind of just listening to music and discovering new music in particular, because you're all about music discovery, is a billion times easier on, on Spotify than it is with Apple Music. Because Apple Music is just, it's so crufty and dense and inflexible in so many ways. See, I think I think the reason why I don't mind Apple Music a ton is the only time I use it is when there is a specific song or a specific album that I want to listen to. And I, you know, I, I just search for it, I find it, and I play it. I don't... I don't use you don't use it at all for just browsing music or like discovering music and I because I agree I think that's where it, it kind of breaks down but I, th- I think when you do know what you want to listen to it's it's mostly harmless I don't think that's a strong endorsement no it's not but you know I, I think the way that I use on-demand services that's that's really all I use them for is when I when there is something specific I want to specific I want to listen to so all right. Any other uh, last bits? No, I, I think I think that's it for me. I'm, we got got through a surprising amount this week. Good job. All right. Uh, how many more games do we have uh, for the Warriors before next week? How much closer will they be to the thirty-two? Uh, well, so they won tonight. They played tonight. So then they've probably got probably three, four more games between now and next Wednesday. Okay, we'll keep tracking it. This will be the uh, the historical record because there is no other. That's right. All right. 